The story before us this morning is the story of the miracle of Jesus feeding the 4,000. And you don't have to begin to read very long in chapter 8 and verse 1 as you work your way down to begin to feel like maybe you're experiencing a little sense of deja vu, as though we've been here before, as though we've experienced this before, that we've heard this. This just sounds oddly familiar to us. And if that's the way you feel, well, then you would be right Uh, Because it was only two chapters ago in chapter 6 where we read the story of the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And so there he fed 5,000 in chapter 6 and now he's feeding 4,000 here. And the two stories are very similar. They hold a lot of similarities. For example, both of them took place in deserted places. Both of them emphasized Jesus' compassion on the crowds. In both of these stories, Jesus asked the question, how many loaves Do we have in both of the stories and miracles? We see the disciples doubting to some extent in both of these, um, and also in both of these stories, uh, the people eat, all the people eat, and they're satisfied. And finally, at the end of both of these stories, there's extra food to be gathered in baskets. So because there are so many similarities... There are scholars, now they're critical scholars, who've suggested that this is simply the same story. That there's no two miracles, they're actually one and the same. There's, they differ in some ways, but they're actually uh, just repeated, one right after the other. And you could see why folks might come to that conclusion. I don't think that's a bizarre conclusion. I just don't necessarily think that it's the right conclusion. Because just as there are so many similarities, there are just as many, if not even more, differences that you find when you begin to study them and and take a closer look at them. For example, um, there's a difference in the uh, 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 there's a difference in the amount of, or excuse me, there's differences. uh, For example, in the loaves and the fish, the count there in the first miracle, there's five loaves and two fish. In the second, I almost said fishes. I'm glad that I didn't. And in, in, in the second miracle, in the 4,000, he speaks of there being seven loaves and a few fish, fish, not fishes. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying that. But anyway, we're thinking that. Um, but there's a difference in number. There's a difference in the number of people that were fed. And the feeding of the 5,000, it said 5,000 men. The word men there is a gender-specific term, meaning specifically males which means 5,000 males were fed. However, there were also women and children. So we understand that there was probably fed at the first miracle anywhere between 15 and possibly 20,000 people. At the second miracle, he says that there were 4,000 people fed, not gender specific. It would have included men, women, and children. So there were a lot less fed in the second miracle than there was in the first. The locations are different. Even though both of them were in secluded places, kind of out in the desolate places, they were still in two different regions. In the first miracle, it was, it was, it was, um, it was accomplished in northern Galilee, which was a Jewish territory. In the second miracle, uh, Mark tells us that it, was, it, was, it took place in the Decapolis, which would have been mostly a Gentile territory. And again, and finally, we see that At the end of the feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish left over, while here in this story, there are said to be seven loaves of bread and fish left over afterwards. And so, 
even though there are all of these differences, still the critic, as the critic can only do, still says, well, listen, even though there's differences, I'm still convinced this is still the same story. And what they do is they point to one specific detail that is similar in both stories, and that is the response and the doubt of the disciples. Uh, in, in verse 2 here in chapter 8, it says this, Jesus said, I have, compassion on the, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from a far way away. So Jesus is basically saying, we have no choice but to feed these people. They're in great need. And so here's how the disciples respond They respond by saying, the Bible says, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? So what the, this is exactly how they answered Jesus in the first miracle just two chapters ago. And so what the skeptics say is there's no way possible for this to be two different miracles because there's no way for them to have seen what they saw and to heard what they heard and to evidence what they did and even eat some of this food that Jesus had prepared and yet find themselves in the same place doubting that Jesus could do what was necessary to be done. One scholar says this, uh, and he quotes, and I quote, the critic says, the stupid repetition of the question is psychologically impossible. You can't possibly do it. There's no way that this would ultimately happen. But I would say, contraire, mon frere. I would say there's no... Yes, I would say the opposite is true. It is very true, and I know this through my own experience, to read the Scriptures, to know the stories of the Bible to see God work in my own life and hear the truth of God from his word and yet still not understand it and yet still don't get it. And he might repeat it, either the act or the word, time and time again in my life, but I come to the same exact situation and I still again act in the same faithless way. It can happen and it does, not once but twice Was there one miracle of the feeding, or was there two? I believe that there was very clearly from the text of Scripture the evidence that there was two. And I believe that he did it for two specific groups as well. I believe he performed this second miracle first for the Gentiles and also for his hard-headed, hard-hearted, slow-learning disciples. And so what I want to do is just over the next couple of minutes, instead of really unpacking that story, I just want to give you the general truth of it because it's the same exact truth that we pulled out there in chapter, uh, in chapter 6. Same truths is in chapter 5 are the same truths here in this, excuse me, in chapter 6. Same stories here in the feeding of the 4,000. What were those particular truths? Why was he writing this to the Gentiles? Why was he performing this miracle again for the Gentiles? Well, Let's remember the context very quickly. Remember what we talked about last week, the Seraphonician woman. Remember there's a woman who was hated by the Jews. She hated the Jews. She was a Gentile. She was an outcast. She heard that Jesus was there and she came to him seeking help. 
Why? Because she found herself in a place that she couldn't help herself. Her daughter was filled with a demon. And so she came to him and she asked, and she asked Jesus, would you help my daughter? Then Jesus acts in a very unchristlike way. I don't know, maybe he wasn't wearing his, what would Jesus do, bracelet? I don't know, but he really responds in a very odd way. He says to her, after she begs for help time and time again, he, he, she, he, he replies, let the children be fed first. For it is not right that the children's bread be thrown to the dogs. Jesus, in essence, calls the woman a dog. And, and so remember what was happening there. Just a reminder, he was speaking in a parable. He was not trying to be offensive, but he was trying to stir her faith up. He was saying, in essence, listen, it's not time for me to help the Gentiles. I came first and foremost to fulfill Old Testament prophecy and to come and to be able to help the Jews because salvation will come through the Jews. Now, I'll eventually get to the Gentiles. He says, but right now my focus is to the Jew first and then also to the Greek later. Well, you might think that this woman would have been offended, but she wasn't. It just built her faith all the more, and she responds in faith by actually getting into the parable and responding in parable language. She responds to him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's bread, she said. And so what, in essence, she was saying is this, hey, listen, I know that I have no leg to stand on here to get you to do what it is that I'm requesting. I know that I'm not deserving of it. I know that I'm not a child of God. I know that I am not in the covenant family. He goes, I know that, but I'm not asking you to help my daughter based on my goodness. I'm asking you to help her based on your goodness, on your goodness. And I believe that your goodness is so great that it overflows. It's greater than just being bestowed upon one person, but your goodness is meant for all people. And I know that you've come just right now for the Jews primarily, but even as you have so much goodness that I'm just hoping that some of it might even spill over onto us, the Gentile people. And so get this. What we're seeing here in the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles is the fulfillment and the answer to the prayer of the woman. They are getting some of the crumbs from the table of the children. It's billowing out. And not only crumbs, but loaves of bread. And God is, in essence, saying, my grace is not only sufficient for the Jews, it's sufficient and great enough for all men, for all people. And so this is what we're ultimately getting a picture of. Now the question is, what was the point of the miracle? What was he trying to teach? Well, again, it's the same exact thing that he was teaching. The same two primary teachings that we learned when he was feeding the 5,000. What were they? Number one, Jesus taught that he was the bread of life. He was the bread of life. And, and what I mean by that, and you've got to remember this in context. Try to get yourself in the first century type mindset. Bread was essential for living. It was the main staple for life. Everybody ate bread. When you guys leave here today, some of you will go out in the foyer, you're talking, and you'll sit there, and the hardest decision you have for today is where are we going to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Let's go to Chili's. No, I want to go to Chili's again. Well, let's go to Five Guys. No, I don't want a burger again. I can't do that. I, let's go. And you're going to think about it. For them, it was much simpler. What are we going to eat? We're going to eat bread. Because if we don't eat bread, we're going to die. So each and every day, they would work. And understand this, they don't have, uh, they don't have a, a cabinet to go into. They don't have a pantry to go into. All they do is they would work every single day hard enough to be able to get just enough money to be able to buy enough bread to sustain their own life and the life 
of their family. This was literally work, buy the bread, eat, survive. So they were constantly thinking about bread. They were constantly thinking about how can we get some bread. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, look, I understand that you need bread for living for your physical life, but there is a greater bread. There's a bread that comes down out of heaven that you don't even know about. There is a a bread that not only gives you physical life, but will give you eternal life. And Jesus would later say in John chapter 6, verse 6, he says, um, I'm I'm sorry, later on he'll he'll, he'll come to his disciples and, and he'll tell them, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Bread was so important to the people that what, after he performs the miracle of the 5,000, now people are just chasing after him everywhere. But he's like, I know you're not chasing me for anything but bread. So that's the significance. But he says, but I tell you, there's a greater bread. And then in John 6, 48 through 41, he says, I am the bread of life. Now he's teaching this to the Jews, but, but notice this. He says, your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down out of heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down out of heaven. If a man eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So here, in essence, he's doing the same thing. He says, listen, you pursue physical bread, but what you ought to be pursuing is the bread of life. Pursue me. First lesson, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus gives eternal life. Here's the second lesson of those miracles. Jesus taught that if they did and would pursue him, that he would take care of their daily bread. Here's the other lesson with this. This is what Jesus says in in verse two. He says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. The Greek word that's translated here, have been with them, is a very rare Greek word, only is found a few times in the New Testament. And the word itself literally means a special adherence and commitment. What he's saying is, these people didn't show up for bread or for a sign. These people were uniquely committed to Jesus Christ. In fact, they were more committed to Jesus than even the Jewish people in the previous miracle of the feeding of the 5,000s. They were just there because they wanted to be with Jesus. And so what Jesus says is, hey, listen, don't seek bread, seek me. And if you seek me, I'll make sure that you have bread. I'll take care of these things for you. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 sums it up this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek me in my ways and my will and my kingdom first. And he says that then all these other things will be added unto you. You don't have to worry about these other things. Just seek me. Just follow me. And I'll take care of the rest. You don't have to worry about the rest. Are you all getting this? He says, don't worry about it, just just seek me. And that's the point of this miracle. And so Jesus goes and he feeds them to show them, you don't have to worry about this, just seek me. I'll take care of everything else. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that we'll never struggle financially? No. Does it ever mean that you'll never go hungry? Does it mean that you'll ever go hungry? No. Does it mean that you'll never suffer? No. Well, then what does it mean? I mean, if Jesus says he's going to take care of me, then what's ultimately going to happen? Well, notice this. These people did go hungry, at least for a period of time. They did suffer to a certain extent. The Bible says, and he goes, Jesus said again, and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come 
from afar, these people were so hungry after three days they had eaten all of their food. They were hungry. Some of them were to the point of fainting. They were so far away from their home, even to get there, they may not have ultimately made it. They were in bad shape, but notice this. They were in bad shape for what reason? Because of their sin? No. They were struggling in their pursuit of Jesus Christ. But yet Jesus sits there and he supplies them food and fish for them to be able to eat. So Jesus isn't saying there's never going to be a time. He's not suggesting and promising that we'll never lose a job, that things will never be tight, that you'll never ultimately struggle. But instead, Jesus is saying this. If you follow me, here's the promise. If you follow me and you trust yourself fully to me, I will give you what you need when you need it. See, there's where we get kind of off. I will give you what you need, not what you want. But I will give you what you need. And you guys look very healthy. Some of you look more healthy than others. Some of you look as though God is taking care of you. And you're saying, I'm not getting what I want. But Jesus is saying, but I'm always faithful to give you what you need. And then the other side is not only what you want, but also when or what, what you need, but when you need it. See, that's where we struggle. Jesus, I want it now. And he goes, but you don't need it now. Yes, I need it now. Six months goes by, Jesus finally gives it, and he goes, this is, you need it now. Jesus let three days go by and didn't supply it, but now the people need it. Jesus says, I'm going to give you what you need, and I'm going to give you when you need it. You just stick with me. Do you understand the two points there? Don't seek after worldly treasure, seek after Jesus. And if you seek after Jesus, you don't have to worry about bread. You don't have to worry about all these other things. Now, that doesn't mean that you love Jesus and all day long you stay at home reading the Bible and you don't go to work. That's not what the scriptures are saying, all right? We've got enough of that going around. Do you understand, all right? We, we, we don't do that. We go to work. The Bible commands us to. So now notice this, and, and I, I want to get to this last section. But notice this. They leave the Bible in verse 10. It says, immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dalmanutha. Del, uh, Don't really know where that is. Uh, at the end, bottoms of your Bible, will probably say that it was in Magda. They think it was modern-day uh, Magadan or Magdala. We just don't know exactly where it is. But here's what you need to know. They leave the eastern side of the lake, and they travel to the western side of the lake, which is the Jewish side of the lake. And there, they're confronted, Jesus is confronted once again by the Pharisees and the scribes. The Bible says in verse 11, And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now listen, they're not just looking for a miracle. They've already seen miracles. They've already heard of his miracles. But what he's saying is, hey, listen, we know you've done a bunch of stuff, but we want you to knock our socks off, all right? We want you to give such a great miracle in the heavens in such a way that we can't help but to believe in you. And of course, if you've been tracking with us through the book of Mark, I guess the healing of the leper wasn't enough. I guess making a lame man walk was not enough. I guess causing the blind to see was not enough. I guess supernaturally uh, uh, multiplying the fish and the loaves not once but twice was not enough. I guess raising the dead was not enough. Here's the point. Jesus understood it would never be enough for them. He goes, it will never be enough for you. And the Bible says here, no, notice this. He says, he says in verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. The word sighed deeply only occurs one time in the New Testament. One time. And very rarely in any kind of ancient Greek literature at all. And it simply means this. It simply means to be pushed to the limits. There 
lack and hard-heartedness and their unbelief toward Jesus. Jesus had enough. You know, Jesus is long-suffering, amen? God is long-suffering. And he waits on us and he's patient with us, giving us time to repent and to get right with God. But do you understand that the Bible clearly says that there is a limit to his long-suffering? There is a limit to his patience. And at this particular time, they fail to respond to all that Jesus Christ has done. And he tells them, there will be no sign for you. Listen, I know that you and I sometimes think, God, if you would just do a miracle, if my family could just see a miracle, if I could just get better proof that Jesus existed and, and all those other things, I'm telling you this, there's plenty of evidence, uh, ar- uh, archaeological evidence, biblical e- evidence, historical evidence to prove that Jesus was who he ultimately said that he was. But it's never going to be enough for an unbelieving heart. And even if a miracle, the greatest miracle you could have ever proved, happened right before them, there's still no guarantee that they would believe. Why? Because their hearts had become so hardened to the truth. And it wasn't that they didn't believe in the miracles. It was that they didn't believe in the one who performed the miracles. That was the difficulty for them. Now notice this. As soon as this occurs, in verse 14, they get, excuse me, in the very next verse, they get into the boat. In verse 14, they get into a boat. And and, and it says, they get into the boat in verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So this is kind of how this is going down. Jesus is disturbed by these men. He's put out. And Jesus begins to tell a story, kind of a parable. He's going to show the people, teach them something. And he goes into a box. Sometimes there was a box kind of in the boats during those days that you would put your daily bread in. All right. Sometimes it might have been a, a satchel of some sort that people knew the bread was. And, and there Jesus is. He dumps it out. And there's one loaf of bread. And he takes the bread out. And what he is, he's going to use this as an illustration. And, and he's using it, and this is what he says. Is he, basically, as he's showing them this bread, verse 4 at 15, he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What is leaven? It's yeast. You guys know this. Some of you moms go down, you make pizza dough or bread. You take a little bit of that yeast and you kind of mix it up in that water, right? And you add it into the flour and all that kind of stuff. And only, it only takes this little bit of yeast, this little bit of leaven, to really work its way through the entire lump. And next thing you know, it's this small little ball. You come back and it's like billowing over the top. It's had its way through that whole lump. Now, throughout the scriptures, leaven most of the time is demonstrated in a negative way. Most of the times, it's a picture, it pictures sin, or it pictures evil and wickedness. And so here, what he's talking about, when he's speaking specifically of Herod and the Pharisees, he's talking about their wickedness, he's talking about their sin. But what sin is he specifically warning them against? The sin of unbelief. There were people Herod at least heard all that Jesus was doing. He had heard about Jesus' messages, but yet he hardened his heart. And here what we find is we find that the, 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 the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were not only hearing Jesus' messages, but they were watching Jesus' miracles. Are you finding this? But yet at the same time, they kept hardening their heart towards God. Now he's saying, time out, guys. I want to warn you not to be guilty of the same unbelieving heart. If you do, that little bit of unbelief will harden your heart towards me. Beware. So he uses this one loaf that he has to picture them. Don't be worried about bread. 
Be worried about spiritual things. Understand what it is that I'm teaching you. Pursue me. And then you got to love what happens next. The scriptures say here, this is really cool. I love this. Verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, if you ever have family worship with your children, you know what's happening here. When we sit down and we read the kids, and here's, here's Pastor Mike, he's gone through all his degrees, Bible, seminary, doctorate, everything. He sits down, he breaks open the word, I begin to teach the children, I begin to show them how the Old Testament pictures are fulfilled in the person of Christ, and I'm getting there, and I think they're just about getting it. Hand goes up, yes, what's going on? Can we have dessert after this time? Yes, you can have Dessert, or do you, are you not hearing what daddy's saying? Yes, you're saying that dessert, we can have dessert when we're done. Their mind is completely somewhere else. And you're continuing to teaching, and this is what happens to the disciples. Now, here's what's crazy about this. He taught it not only once. He taught it to them twice. This just wasn't something that they heard. It was something they've seen. It wasn't just something they saw. It was something that they tasted of. They experienced this entire thing, but yet he caught them doubting again. Then when he confronts them about their doubting, they still don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because what they're doing is, is the whole time Jesus is speaking, holding up the loaf of bread, Jesus is saying, be careful of a hardened heart. And they're sitting there going, dude, there's only one loaf of bread left. And I know Matthew. He's going to take 30% off the top. He's a tax collector. And I know the rest of these guys. I know James and John. I know, I know, I, I know these guys, man. They're going to fight us for it. This, this is going to be, we're, we're going to have to discuss this. Only one loaf of bread. And then this is what Jesus says to them. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? You see here, all that we just talked about is now coming into impact. If there's one thing, out of the whole list of worries that they should have had, the one thing they shouldn't have worried about is bread. Guys, I not only showed you one miracle, but I had you there with me for the second miracle, not only for the Gentiles, but for you to be able to see it. I just gave you this cool illustration, this object lesson, and you're still not getting it. Why in the world are you worried about bread? I can make bread out of nearly nothing. In fact, I could speak it into existence. I'm the creator, God. I can create things ex nihilo out of nothing. I just chose to take bread and to be able to expand it just to show you that I could. And then he'll even ask them the questions. He'll say, look, out of, I took five loaves, two fish, fed 20,000 people. I had seven loaves and a few fish, and I fed 4,000 people. We've got one loaf. Don't you think that I could feed 12 of you? This is no problem. What's wrong with you? So what do you do with a heart like this? Well, what do you do with a brick wall? Trying to get through a brick wall, you take a sledgehammer to it. You start smashing it. The soft way doesn't work. Let's, Let's... Maybe hit it a little bit harder. And he says, are your hearts hardened? Bang. He says, having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? Bang. Bang. And do you not remember? Bang. 
when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12? Bang. And the seven for our thousand. He goes, he goes, in the seven for our thousand. How many, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. Bang. And he said to them, and do you not understand? Bang. Just beating and hitting that hard-headedness and that hard-heartedness with the truth. Don't you remember? Don't you understand all that I've done for you and you still don't get it? Why are you worried about bread? I think that this is particularly important for our church. A church that we hopefully, obediently, pride in Christ, come and say we're going to stick to the word, we're going to teach the word. But how many of us hear the word and leave and remain unchanged? We know the ins and the outs. We even know some of the Greek. We know, we, see, we walk back, how many times I've sat there and said, I never understood. That's truly what that story means. I'm amazed at what it is that you were saying. The disciples were amazed at the miracles. But it didn't do anything to change them. They didn't begin to live a life of faith in light of it. Sitting there saying, we don't need to worry about bread anymore. Jesus can supply all the bread that we needed, didn't apply. Let me ask you this. How many sermons on marriage have we preached from this pulpit, but still? And how many times have we mentioned Ephesians chapter 5? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave his life for it. And how many of us are still sitting back and not loving our wives in the same way? We know the story. We know even it's in Ephesians chapter 5 where it's taught. How many of you have heard sermons about how important it is for us to study the word? We even know the scriptures. Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. But yet day after day keeps going by. Words coming in. You know everything about studying the word of God. You know all the reasons why you need to study the word of God. But you leave and you won't study the word of God. How many sermons have we heard about stewardship, about giving, about being faithful to God with that 10%? And we feel bad and we feel guilty and all that other kind of stuff. And we might give for a little while, but after a month, what do we do? We hear it, but I still have no faith for God to supply if I give 10%. Do do you see where this is working? Now, let's get back specifically to the application he's referring to. Remember the two major points of him multiplying the fish of the loaves. What were they? Number one, don't pursue bread. Pursue the bread of heaven. Each week we'll sit there and say, be sold out for Jesus, follow Jesus fully with all of your heart, change the whole trajectory of your life for the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a part of your life, he is your life. Pursue him and we will leave from this place and you won't think about God again until next week Sunday. Why? Because your mind is about pursuing physical bread. Honey, how can we get this? How can we save him much money to go here and to buy this and to do this and get rid of that and get this house that we ultimately want? And how do we miss it? And then again, the second story, don't worry about bread. Don't, if you pursue me, then don't worry about anything else. Jesus is ultimately going to say this. We, we, we know the scriptures all the way through. Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Yet now many of you by worrying, how many of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You know that scripture. 
Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But I wonder how many even right now, as we're preaching this right now, you're thinking about the bread. I've got financial problems, Brother Mike. I've got to sell a home. I've got to buy a home. I don't know what to do. What is the point of the feeding of the bread? Jesus will give you exactly what you need when you need it. Are we so hard-headed? Are we so hard-hearted that we hear it over and over again like the disciples but still don't understand? You say, what's the application? I don't really know. The application, I think, is sitting back going, God, I see myself in this. This is me. And now I pray. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. God, take the hammer of your word. Take the hammer of your spirit. Bang my head. Bash it against my heart. Soften up the soil of my heart so that I'll live out the truth of Scripture. You are being warned today. Here's the warning. If you come in every week and you hear the truth of Scripture in whatever way it's applying and you harden your heart, you will become a Pharisee. Your hearts will become beyond softening. Can we pray today for a softened heart? Jesus, we come to you this morning. God, there are some here that you, some here that you have been calling consistently telling them to come to you, calling them, drawing them, drawing their heart. God, but still they will not come and they will not be saved. They will not repent and they will not believe. God, your warning is today. Don't harden your heart. Do you still not understand? Do you not understand that the word of God and the gospel is for you today to be saved? God, how many are sitting here this morning? And God, they're pursuing the world, but they're not pursuing you. God, how many times? This is what they're going to do. They're going to keep pursuing the word until the, the, the world, until the bottom falls out. Their world is a wreck, and they come slithering, saying, I've been looking for the world. God, don't let them get to that place. Today, God, soften their hearts that they will pursue you above bread and have faith that if they are pursuing you, you will supply the bread change and soften our hearts let us engage by faith your truth in jesus name amen would you stand would you stand the altar is open if you want to respond to the teaching of god's word i'm down here respond where you are if you need prayer come respond to the teaching of god's word this morning